And I'm Donna Carter. And you're listening to Grow on the Go, but you're also listening to my stomach sounds. It's very noisy, and I apologize. I, I just fed you. I know, but it, that's why. you just. Fed, it's not that I'm hungry. It's that I just ate, and now my stomach is doing stomach things, huh. being a stomach. I Excuse also... me for digesting <laughs> my food. <laughs> on microphone. Yeah. So I, you had a pretty good day today. I did. I did have a good day today. I, uh... I got a bonus, which was very unexpected. It's been a difficult year, obviously. So I have to ask you, because we're, we're going to be talking about anxiety today on a sh- this share show. This share show. Um, I wanted to ask you, were you filled with anxiety when you found out you were <laughs> supposed to have a meeting with your boss? Yeah. Um, seamless. Um yeah, I'd gotten a notification. Of course, uh, this is pre-recorded, so hopefully these measures aren't still in place when this airs, but... Uh, doesn't look good. Right now, everyone is working from home, so I was uh, sent a meeting invite, a Zoom meeting invite, with my direct report, the manager of operations, and the CEO of the company for like 15 minutes, first thing in the morning, and I'm like, that's the kind of thing. The meeting was first thing? Yeah. It was 9 a.m. Oh, wow. So it was like, ooh, that's getting fired, if ever there was a getting fired. last When I was laid off, it was also, like, it was at, like, 10 in the morning. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I actually remember that, because you phoned me almost right away. Yeah. Yeah, what they actually said was that they wanted to give me a bonus, which was completely unexpected and wow. the opposite of what I anticipated. So that was lovely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad yeah, for me you. too. Yeah, I think I would be pretty nervous if I was called into the principal's office, as it were, without knowing why. When's the last time you had a boss that wasn't the board? Um, well, technically I report to your dad, but, you know, there's, there's always... Yeah, he's executive director. I'm mm. communications director. But, you know, I could... Yeah, there's there's ways there's ways I can na- I can negotiate with him. <laughs> That's enough of that I conversation. Did not those ways necessarily. <laughs> I necessarily. Why do you have to add that? Oh man, gross. Great, cool. So no, I haven't reported to a boss for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I do remember one time. Um, my boss calling me in and just raking me over the coals because I had a day off and she had to go into a client file right. to um, get some information for a client. And she was just mortified at the state of my files. Mm. And I mean, to, that's fair, but I am so not a systems person. And no, no one had ever said to me, this is how to keep a client file. Mm-hmm. And actually, she did teach me at, in that in the course of, of that chewing out, <laughs> what she wanted client files to look like. And I kept that system for years until I gave up my interior design practice. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can be taught. I just can't think up a system by myself. <laughs> I'm in a similar situation at work, actually. I haven't been raked over the coals, but organization mm-hmm. is not my strong suit. And I've worked really hard to make catch-alls and traps, sort of, for myself. Right. Um and and 
but you know, I can't. I well, I shouldn't say I can't. I haven't thought of everything, and so every so often things do fall through the cracks. So I did get a little. Um, you need to get it together, which again is totally fair. Right. And it, it is it is frustrating. I do feel frustrated by it because it's like I am doing my best. I it, it's not that I'm not trying. I'm uh-huh. really trying. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know how else to do it. But I'm getting coaching from a few people. I've downloaded some software that should help me stay on top of things and. And do you think that's related to your anxiety? Oh, for sure. It's definitely related to your ADHD. For sure. Um, It is because, actually, it's funny. In my last coaching session um, with Michelle from Elevated HR, she said to me, and I think it's something her mentor said to her, um, tell yourself the truth and ask yourself what you're pretending not to know. Mm-hmm. And that's poignant to me because that's a lot of what my anxiety is. Like, I'll be like, I didn't even see that email. No, I saw the email. I didn't take the time to look at the email. Okay. Those are different things. Right. Um, if I see an email and immediately get overwhelmed by what's in it, I, then I don't look at it. So it's not that I didn't see it. It's that I didn't look at it. Okay. So that sort of thing absolutely contributes. Um, I get overwhelmed super easy. Cut Super easy. Super easily. Um, because I, I do have an anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, um, which I've had forever, but yeah. wasn't diagnosed till I was 18, Yeah, which is <laughs> kind of wild that I made it through so long. Yeah. And, you know, man, I wish I'd known more about it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, typically my approach to parenting is I, I did a lot of research. Oh, you read everything and anything. There was so little mm-hmm. at that point on girls with ADHD. Oh, yeah. All the, uh, at girls with anything. All the, yeah, all the research was done on boys. They're just louder. It, it, well, they tend to be discipline problems when they have ADHD. Girls don't. They just mm-hmm. zone out, typically. Yeah. Um, so I read everything I could, but I never put the anxiety together for you or for myself. No. I think I've probably had an anxiety disorder my whole life. It's never been diagnosed, but I did a little, little online test yeah. in the course of researching for this mm-hmm. show and i thought mild to moderate probably oh no severe not se- well yeah i'm i'm over moderate and just barely into severe during covid because i know i answered my questions how am i feeling now well and it should I always actually, be within the last two weeks when you answer those i actually think that if once covid is resolved assuming Lord willing that yeah. ever happens, yeah. um, I would probably be in the moderate category. Mm. But um, yeah, just to say it's never officially been diagnosed. But when I look back on my life and certain incidents, it's like, oh, yeah, I was really anxious. When I remember asking you at one point, because this is something that had come up with a friend of mine when she was diagnosed and, and she'd never thought of it that way. I remember saying to you, you're, do you worry more than you don't worry? Do you spend more time worrying or not worrying? And you were like, you're worrying. And I was like, yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not how <laughs> the average brain works. Yeah. Um, which is, I honestly, it's, my my anxiety kind of saves me from a lot of things because I'm so afraid of X, Y, Z happening that mm-hmm. I'm like, must take steps to like, prevent. Like, for example, you've decided to abstain from alcohol completely. Yeah, because yeah, I'm terrified that I would decide I like it way too much. So mm-hmm. I just I just don't. I just, yeah. It's just not Which something I, think I do. Is extremely wise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, anxieties simply because I think during COVID, everyone, everyone's anxiety is heightened. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can talk about the difference between um, 
trait anxiety Mm -hmm. and state anxiety. Mm -hmm. This is something that comes out of Kaplan and Sadduck's synopsis of psychiatry. Doesn't that sound like riveting reading? (laughs) I mean, to me it does. But Mm. psychology is fascinating to me because I'm so very broken. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're just self-aware. But trait anxiety anxiety is the internal feelings that everyone has, but they differ from person to person, even in a similar threatening Mm -hmm. situation. State anxiety is when the threat uh, that's present or believed to be imminent. Um, in those situations, the individuals experience f- anxiety or fear. And then when the threat is removed, the anxiety or fear dissipates. Goes away. Right? So people with anxiety disorders experience state anxiety for longer periods of time than the average person. Mm-hmm. And their um, intensity of anxiety in uh, trait anxiety tends to be way higher. And in my, and I'm speaking mostly from experience, but from what I understand, it also usually comes with some depressive episodes just because being in that anxious state is exhausting. It is exhausting to your brain and to your body. You're not wired. We're not wired for that. We're not supposed to live like that. Here's a fun fact that I also found um, on, on, um, a website called Desert Hope Treatment, uh, people who experience fear will typically have both their flight or f- fight or flight mechanisms activated, depending mm. on the circumstance, whereas individuals experiencing anxiety uh, typically only have their flight mechanism activated. Interesting. Yeah. So that more... does not surprise me at all. Okay, that's so interesting. Well, tell me a little bit about um, some of the uh, the techniques you've learned to manage your anxiety. Don't talk about EMDR just yet. We're going to get to that. In well, a bit. that was the number one on my list. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. Number two. Fine. Um, yeah. So first and foremost, and I know a lot of people aren't going to like this, but bear with me. I do advocate for medication as prescribed and distributed by a doctor Um, because the reality is now not so much for just anxiety that is a normal thing for people to experience but if you have a general or an anxiety disorder or you are in a season of life that is yeah that is uh, is giving you unreasonable amounts of anxiety for example a friend of mine just fled a really toxic marriage and is now on medication for anxiety mm-hmm. um, and she never has been before I I think medication is important because your the brain chemistry mm-hmm. is doing something that you're not designed to function on um, I can only speak for a generalized anxiety disorder but what's happening in your neurochemistry is your brain uh, secretes something called serotonin a hormone called serotonin And that keeps you um, feeling happy and safe and good, Mm -hmm. generally. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have an anxiety disorder, there are uh, these, like, receptors called, um, for serotonin reuptake, they absorb the serotonin. So your brain excretes, secretes serotonin, it floats around, makes your brain feel nice, and then... It gets sucked up. It gets sucked up Mm -hmm. when it's done. If you have an anxiety disorder, usually those those reuptake things are too active. And so it doesn't give a chance for the serotonin to work on your brain. Mm. So 
It is not unreasonable to take a medication. I take SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, to slow those reuptake dealies down so that the serotonin actually has a chance to work mm-hmm. on my brain. So really, it's just using your own... It's just helping you use your own brain chemistry. The way they properly. are... The way it is supposed to work. Yeah. 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 It's not... They're not just happy pills. No. And they don't... And they don't make me feel numb. They don't make me feel like a zombie. My medication for ADHD is a bit of a different story, but that is a topic for another day. Um, <laughs> and... Honestly, I don't notice I'm on them. I notice when I'm off them. Yes, and that is true for me as well. Yeah. So I went on um, SSRIs also after we experienced the earthquake in Haiti. Yes. Up until then, my anxiety was manageable. Mm -hmm. After that, not so much. Your brain was broken a little. Yes, and I decided my husband needed to be, deserved to be married to a a a less of a shrew. <laughs> you were all real different people. You yeah, came so, home different. Yeah, Kevin was the only one in our family who wasn't in the earthquake, and we all came back very messed up. And the only person that didn't have PTSD, mostly because I was a teenager and so self-involved, that I was like, what? You're fine. <laughs> I was. I don't think I was insensitive, knowingly, but no, I, but, I had... But I, you I had no idea. You wouldn't get it. How no, could you? No. Okay, so tell us about one more strategy, and then I feel like we need to move okay. on. Okay. Um, another thing, if I'm really struggling um, with anxiety in a moment, I feel like I'm about to have an anxiety attack, uh, which for me, my hands and feet usually start to go numb. Maybe my face, they start to tingle. Uh-huh. Um that's a big sign that, oh, I am losing control of mm-hmm. my brain right now. I don't love that. Um, I start to do what I call a sensory inventory, which means being very conscious of the things around me. What am I touching? Am I sitting on a chair? What does the upholstery feel like? Is it smooth? Is it dry? Is it scratchy? When do I think it was made? What do I smell? Do I smell pencils? Do I smell? And even if you think you smell nothing, you smell something. Mm-hmm. So really focus in. What do you hear? Okay, that's good. I've never heard of that one It before. keeps you grounded in reality. In reality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It keeps you in the moment. It keeps you present and it keeps you from getting carried away. You may still have some anxiety attack symptoms, but it will help keep you in the moment. Okay. Yeah. For me, um, anxiety feels like overwhelm. Yeah. I just feel like there's too much to do. I especially feel that if I don't know how to approach a task, then it's totally overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it probably is my temperament. Oh, yeah. I'm a typical artist. My thoughts do not march out with military-like precision. They roll out like marbles. Or or somebody kicked the top off an anthill, you know, (laughs) and they just go everywhere. Bees! Getting getting my thoughts to, to march in some sort of, you know, um, linear f- formation is very difficult and actually exhausting for me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And part of that, I think, could be lingering PTSD um, from our traumatic experience in Haiti 10 years ago. But I actually think, as I said, I probably had a moderate anxiety disorder my whole life. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking just a couple of days ago, you know, I feel similar now during the pandemic to how I felt after the earthquake. Well, and it's definitely possible that it has triggered your PTSD. It, yeah, I, I think I think that's probably true. Because your triggers don't necessarily have to be related to your related. initial trauma. Yeah. 
But I've had other times of extreme overwhelm since since the earthquake. Uh, a few years ago, I cared for and stood at the deathbed of my precious sister mm-hmm. while simultaneously dealing with major upheaval, upheaval in my relational world. Mm-hmm. All of this while helping my brave mom care for my dear dad in his final stages of cancer and supporting my husband who suddenly lost his mom. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, don't get me wrong. It's a it's a privilege to care for a dying loved one. Yeah. I, w- I would not have wanted to be anywhere else, but it's hard. You know, as I would concentrate to, or fight to concentrate, you know, to, to focus on a speaking engagement or meeting a writing deadline or whatever, I, I, I wanted to be with my dad. And I always felt like I should be somewhere other than where I was or yeah. doing something other than what I was doing. Yeah, that feeling like you're missing something or there's a test you should be studying yeah, for and you don't yeah. even know what it is. It's such a, the load was demanding emotionally and physically. And yeah. one day you talked about panic attacks or no, anxiety attacks. Anxiety there's attacks. There's a difference, right? Yeah, I, from what I understand, uh, panic and anxiety, medically speaking, are different. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, so I was, um, I, I started to feel unwell this day. I had a headache, I was nauseated, and I had been trying to deal with the information. I had just learned that both my dad's and my sister's cancer were progressing really fast. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to go to a board meeting that evening for our ministry organization. And I, I started to think, you know, I don't feel well. I might not be able to get there. So I'm just going to write out a report for the board in case I don't make it. Well, thinking about and writing down the status of all the different projects I was working on was just way too much. It was like piling small all these smaller things onto this looming tower of stressors. And I just got overwhelmed. I started to cry uncontrollably. I was breathing heavily. My extremities started to go numb. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, all our listeners are thinking, oh, yeah, you were having an anxiety attack. Well, yeah, if I'd been hearing the symptoms instead of experiencing them, I'm sure I would have thought the same thing, but I'd never had one before, and it was so strange to be so out of control Mm -hmm. of my own body. Mm -hmm. I actually thought I might be having a stroke. So I I phoned my husband, who was on his way home from a speaking engagement. Poor guy. He's he's waiting to deplane. He's at least 30 minutes. The airport's at least 30 minutes from home. There's not a thing he can do. Um, So he called my sister, who only lives a couple blocks away. I'm not sure why I didn't think of that. Probably pride. You were having an anxiety attack. And and probably pride. Um, But she came over, took one look at me, and called 911. So while we waited for the paramedics to come, I did my best to get a grip. But, wow, my body was not taking orders from my mm-hmm. mind at the time. At that, it, you are completely, it feels like you are completely out of control. It really does. Yeah. And when the paramedics arrived, they checked my vitals. They assured me my heart was fine. I was not having a stroke. But they also explained something to me that I think is really important for us to understand. Our bodies can't tell the difference between a physical threat, like a house fire, rampaging grizzly bear, rogue lava ball, whatever, <laughs> and, and a psychological one. In my case, intolerable accumulative stress. And in both cases, our bodies switch into survival mode. It's kind of like an emotional earthquake in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, you release the stress hormones, epinephrine and cortisol, which is what causes that fight-or-flight response. Our bodies aren't lying to us when this happens. Well, that's why your extremities go numb. Your body's drawing blood into right. your essential organs. That's right. Because it is preparing to survive. Yes, they're telling us there really is something You wrong. are in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
And there are times in our lives, like in my situation that I just described, when our stress is completely unavoidable. Mm -hmm. You know, we, but if we don't learn how to deal with it and how to disconnect from our stress, our bodies will keep track. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that can go wrong when you live with stress for a long time. Our, our um, adrenal glands become overtaxed, um, they, and that triggers a chain of reactions in our bodies, which can include inflammation, uh, suppressed immunity, depression, irritable bowel syndrome, weight gain, insomnia, arthritis, allergies, diabetes, chronic fatigue. It goes on yeah. and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. So you may be feeling overwhelmed right now, too whether your anxiety is a state or a trait. Maybe it's triggered by overwhelming financial pressure. You've lost your job or you're a business owner with no customers or you're a boss. You have you have a boss or a or a professor like a human conveyor belt that just keeps dumping projects on your desk at, at a greater speed than you can do the work. Or it could be a child with a weighty learning or behavioral problem, a marriage that's coming unglued or some nightmarish combination of the above. How do we cope with the load when what we really want is to just pull the covers over our head and, and wake up in Narnia? <laughs> in addition to the, the strategies that Kevin just mentioned, there's also some practical advice in the Bible. In uh, The Apostle Peter originally wrote these words to early Christians in Asia Minor, facing incredible stress. In 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, it says, Be humble in the presence of God's mighty power, and he will honor you when the time comes. God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to him. So the first thing that we need to do, according to Peter, is look at our situation with humility and recognize that we are outmatched. Our resources are not equal to our load. We need help. We need it badly, and we need it now. That realization and the decision to go to God in our state of overwhelm positions us to do the next thing, which is to transfer our load onto God's broad shoulders, recognizing that he deeply cares for us and about everything that touches us. He's always thinking about us and watching everything that concerns us. I think that's pretty cool. It's like that song, um, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Yeah. Like he's got everything. Everything. So in going to God with our weakness, we're admitting we're needy. That authentic humility can bring us to the point of surrendering control over our circumstances to him. Once we accept that it isn't up to us to cope with the anxiety, you know, carry the whole load or control the outcome, then we can receive his care. That's when we become aware of his presence, his love, and his participation in our experience. We can bravely face tomorrow with God in our lives, even knowing that a single lane change, COVID test, or phone call can shatter the future that we expected. If this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that everything can change in an instant. And while that sudden turning of events can shock us so deeply, God is never caught off guard. Mm -hmm. Because God's already in the future. He lives outside of time, so nothing that touches our lives ever catches him by surprise. He knows what circumstances lie up ahead for us, and he's already already at work in those situations that we will eventually face. So, practically, how can we give our anxiety to God? What does that really look like? Do you, Can you describe for us um, the first time you experienced EMDR? Mm -hmm. um, it's a... Uh, treatment process that um, sounded ridiculous to me, but uh, is a real thing. They use it on um, 
veterans and people who've undergone, who suffer from post-traumatic stress. Um, essentially, I was asked to draw a picture of a box and figure out all the details. What does it look like? What does it smell like? Um, are the latches, like, uh, it has to have a lid. Uh, is there a latch on it? Does it make a sound when it closes? Does uh, Do the hinges squeak? What does it smell like on the inside? Is it aligned with anything? All those things. And then um, the administrator, I don't know, facilitator, the person I was working with, held a pen in front of my face, a couple inches in front of my face, and then moved it relatively slowly um, from side to side. And I was supposed to keep my head still and follow the pen with my eyes. And while I was doing that, I was meant to picture the thing that was giving me anxiety going into the box and closing the lid on the box. And I usually do it twice. And then eventually the pen, um, he slowed down the pen until it came to a stop in the center, like between my two eyes. And it's wild but it actually really does work. It has to do with getting your two, the two hemispheres of your brain to talk to each other, mm-hmm. basically, to, to get things unstuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and post-traumatic stress is often that your brain hasn't um, cataloged a memory or an event right. properly. So this kind of manually helps to reset that. It does not do all of it, right? Um, but it helps. And when you first described that process to me, you were a, a young teenager. I was right? 18. You were, so Were you really? Uh-huh. I you were younger well, than that. Well, yeah, I didn't get This was right when I got diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, which okay. was at 18. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But when you described that process to me, my mind went back to when you were a little girl, and you were often tormented by nightmares. Mm-hmm. Every night. <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously, that anxiety disorder was yeah. there a lot longer than we, we realized. But, yeah. Um, I remember I'd go into tuck you into bed at night and we'd pray together. And then I would remind you to take your scary thoughts and in your imagination, put them in a cage, lock it up and give Jesus the keys. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And that idea, as weird as it may sound, came from something the Apostle Paul wrote to people living in Greece. He said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, I have huge respect for science, and I know how, how it helps us so much with physical and psychological challenges. But sometimes I'm just amazed at how often new scientific techniques, like EMDR, is quite mm-hmm. new, um, affirm what the Bible has been teaching for literally thousands of years. Mm-hmm. There's a practical element to EMDR that's not, like, outright outlined in the Bible, but the, the thinking process the is the same. The concept is there. Mm-hmm. So when I taught you how to manage your, your fears as a little girl, I'd never heard of MDR. I don't even think it was a thing. But I did know a bit of the Bible. And that scripture and the help that is offered in it, offered to us by the creator of our minds, mm-hmm. hearts, and bodies, is the practical advice that I want to leave our listeners today. I suggest you go out and choose a beautiful box. You might have to order it online if you're still in lockdown. Mm -hmm. Buy it and bring it home. Open and close the lid, memorizing the sound it makes. You know, is it a velvety whisper or a kind of a hollow wooden clop? And then in those moments when your heart's racing and your mind is spinning with all the what ifs and what nows or if onlys, write down your anxious thoughts in in a journal that you keep in that box. Just try it. Just try pouring your heart out to God. Mm -hmm. Remember the format that I talked about suggested by the Apostle Peter. Humbly admit your helplessness 
and then turn over that load to the only one who really is in control. And then, in an act of faith, thank him for all the ways he cares and provides what you need. Once you've dumped your head and your heart, put the journal back in the box and listen as you close the lid. If it has a lock and a key, lock it up. The sound and the practical act of doing that will remind you that you've captured those anxious negative thoughts and you've brought them under God's control. They're now separate from you and your mind is free to sleep or work or or simply be. I believe that God wants you to look at your past without pain, your present without pressure, and your future without fear. Excellent advice. I think that is a good place to stop. That's it for us today on Grow on the Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.